can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to look at a few verses tonight together. And we're going to uh, just walk through a few things together. Aren't you glad that God gave us His Word? Aren't you glad He didn't just say, hey, just trust me and figure it out. That He actually sent us His Word so that we can actually have a firm foundation and confidence that says, oh, well, God's already spoke to this area of my life and that God's given me direction and, and wisdom that we can live by. And that's, uh, you know, that's what's so amazing about the Scripture is that, you know, I mean, you think about it, Some verses were written thousands of years ago, and yet they can be so easily applied to our life today. You know, and it's like, man, how in the world? Well, it's because it's living. It's alive. That's what Hebrews 4.12 says. Is that the Word of God is living. It's active. It's powerful. And uh, so the same Word that was written maybe by someone else in a whole different culture a long time ago, yet can still be revolutionary in our heart and in our lives. You know, because the Bible is not bound to a culture. It's bound to the human heart. And, you know, and so that's the beauty uh, of, of Scripture. And so tonight I want to just walk through some Scriptures together here. And... Um, the title of my message is Chosen. I didn't say frozen, I said chosen. And, uh, you know, so that's kind of a theme you'll see here throughout uh, these passages. We're going to read a few scriptures here in Ephesians 1, and I'll expound on a few here and there. Uh, but we're really just going to kind of walk through several verses here together. And uh, so, uh, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and I'm going to pick up in verse 3 of Ephesians 1. He says, all praise be to God. Other translations might say, um, blessed be the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Here the New Living says that all praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. Now that word blessing there uh, is the same word that is translated as gift. So right now, the moment that we got saved, guess what? We got everything we needed to live for God. We don't lack anything. Now, is there, you know, is there a difference between having something and, and applying something? Sure. And there is some application that's got to happen. But we're not trying to become something. We are something. God, the Bible says that we have been made alive unto Christ. And we right now is exactly what it says here. Is that we have been given every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because we are united or connected with Christ. So we lack nothing right now to do everything and to have everything that God wants us to have in every area of our life. Regardless of what it may be, here it, it he, is, he writes and says that He, being God, has blessed us with everything that we need. He's, held, he's withheld nothing from us, but has given us everything that we need. Because, why? Because we are one with Christ. Because of that connection, you know, uh, even when you, just that word being united with Christ makes, me, makes my mind begin to roll to John 15 where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? I mean, isn't that what John 15 talks about? Well, there's that connection that's got to be held together, yes. And we have to make sure that we're staying connected to our Savior. You know, why? Because that's the source of our life. That's where we get the strength to do everything that God wants for us and wants to do in our lives. In verse 4 here, he continues and he says, Even before... He made the world. God loved us and chose us in Christ. Now think about that. Before God had ever made Adam, God chose you. God chose me. 
he, he created us as his prized possession. That's the reason that he made humanity to begin with. It wasn't just so God would have someone to entertain him. He created us and, and he chose us for what? For fellowship, for relationship. So that he could have a family. Because that was his desire. And it says that God loved us and chose us in Christ. Now, what did he love us for and why did he choose us? It says, right, it goes on and it says, to be holy and without fault in his eyes. You know, one of the things that I know is I, that I may not be perfect, but this much I know is that Dara chose me. In spite of all of my things... My idiosyncrasies and those types of things, those those you know those things that make me me, those those odd little things that make me who I am. I don't have to be perfect for to be her husband. And just because I may blow it, I don't think, man, I wonder if I'm still her husband. No, baby, she stuck with me. Like I'm her husband, you know. And just because of maybe even because I may not why because I haven't understood that she's chosen and committed to me. And I am to her the same way. You know, but yet in our relationship with God, so many times we can fall into the trap of that, well, my, my, let me say it this way, my proximity to God is based off of how well I'm doing right now. Like if I'm reading my Bible and I'm doing the things I need to be doing, and man, I feel the presence of God when we worship, and that I'm close to the Lord. But then in other times when maybe I'm not, Doing all the necessary things to keep my relationship and being hooked up with it. Is that there seems to be, and if we're not careful, we'll buy into the thought that says, well, I'm away from the Lord. And yet God has chosen you. He loved you and he chose you. And, he, and it goes on and it says that he chose you, number one, to be holy. And he says to also be without fault in his eyes. I don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect, but what we do have to do is to walk in the light of Scripture and to understand who we've been created to be. You know, and I think, I know for me, for years and years and years, I was trying to become what I thought I was supposed to be. And it wasn't until I learned how to rest in Christ and to say, okay, you've done everything that I can't do in and of myself, that I actually began to experience this, what we call resurrection life. Why? Because I was trying to live a New Testament truth in an Old Testament mentality. How many of you realize that don't work? A New Testament truth, which is grace under the law. And I'm trying to somehow earn my stake with the Lord. And for years and years and years, that was my mentality. Because I didn't understand grace at all. All I knew was that I was a sinner and I was jacked up and God saved me and God delivered me. And that was amazing. But somehow, I, you know, where Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and said, Hey, who's fooled you that what you started... Or let me say, not even what you started, what started in the spirit that you're now going to complete in the flesh. That was me. God saved me. It was amazing. And that was all the spiritual work that happened. But somehow I thought, well, now I'm going to do this thing and figure it out. And I've got my checklist and I've got the do's and don'ts. And I, you know, minding my P's and all, minding my Q's and, you know, all those types of things. Why? Because I simply didn't understand. I thought that I chose God. I didn't have an understanding that he chose me. And see, and that seems so simple. But it makes a big difference when we can actually walk in the light of that truth. 
You know, Jesus actually told the disciples at one point, it's in John 15, I believe it's verse uh, 16, if I'm not mistaken. But he told the disciples, he said, hey guys, y'all didn't choose me, I chose you. And he's talking to them about, of course, he's getting ready to leave this right on the, the, the heels of him talking about uh, that he was the vine and that they were the branches. And yet, he, you know, and, and he's trying to encourage them and give them some understanding is that, guys, I just want you to know, you didn't choose to come be with me. I've chosen you long before I called you wherever I did. Is that God, in really, in his wisdom, had already determined, I choose you. Regardless. That's why the Bible says that even Christ died on the cross for us while we were still sinners. In the hope that we would accept what he had done. There was no guarantee for him. But he had the hope. And yet here it goes on in verse 5 and it says that God decided to do this. In other words, that God had uh, blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Everything that we would need to walk in the goodness of God. Even before he had made the world. In verse 5 it says that God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. By bringing us to himself through Christ. Now I think there's something unique about adoption. Because it really is a choice of one person to choose to adopt another. You know I have a sister right now who's in the process of adopting two boys. They're a few months apart and they're young and you know it's a pretty neat thing. But as I'm watching it, I'm seeing it more and more. And I I believe it's helping me to even understand more clearly what it is like to be part of an adoption. It's a remarkable thing. I mean, you know, sometimes you get babies and you didn't want them, right? You didn't expect them. And it's like, oh, well, it's too late now. I guess we got another kid. But an adoption is totally different. An adoption is fully knowing, fully understanding and comprehending. I choose you. Not just some... Chance of the universe, let's roll the dice and let's see. Boy, girl, we don't know. When you adopt, it's totally different. You have understanding. You, you know that child. You, you can see that child. There's some things about And it's a choice that's made. And it says that God decided in advance. Before I'd ever breathed my first breath, God decided, I want to adopt him. Before my first sin, God decided he wanted to adopt me. The same is true for you. It's that God chose to adopt us into his family and bring us to himself. Have you ever thought about this? Is that God could have just saved us from hell. He could have saved us from sin, but never called us family. Have you ever thought about that? But yet he wants us to not just be somebody that he's rescued. He wants us to become close participants with him, to have that connection that now that we can be called sons and daughters. We're not just somebody that he worked for. No, he, he's brought us close. And, and he's brought us to himself. It goes on in the second part of verse 5 here. And it says um, that this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for his glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. I love that phrase, glorious grace. One, um, one definition or, or one way to, to kind of reword that, if you will, there, is that it talks about His marvelous, expansive favor towards us. It's exp- I mean, it, it, it's amazing. And God's grace towards us is never ending. It, it's unrelenting. It never stops. And doesn't matter how good or bad, God still says, I choose you. I want you. 
I want you to be a part of my family. And, and the enemy would love nothing more than to convince us that we're not worthy. You know, God doesn't want you anymore and he feeds us these lies. Why don't you just give up? You can't do this anyways. And yet, according to scripture here, it says that God has given us glorious grace because we belong to Christ. Verse 7, it goes on and it says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and has forgiven our sins. Verse 8, I love the way the New Living says this. It says, He has showered His kindness on us. Now there's lots of words that you can use for kindness and love. And, and you can, but yet that, that, even that thought it makes me think about John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave Jesus to be Savior, to be sacrificed, to be everything for us. So that now that we could be showered in the goodness of God. That's a powerful truth. Is that we, right now, can be showered in His kindness along with, not just that we get God's kindness, but along with all wisdom and understanding. So God didn't just say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat you good. He says, not only that, I'm going to give you all the wisdom and the understanding. I was reading something uh, in line with this, and the way that they defined understanding was this, was practical application. I'm not just going to be kind to you. I'm not just going to give you wisdom from my word. I'm actually going to give you the understanding on how to apply that and walk it out. So that you get to experience the fullness of my goodness in your life. See, that's, that's what we see here through Scripture. It says that He has purchased us by His kindness, by His grace. For what purpose? What does it say up there? Oh, it's not there anymore. There it is. Go back one more. Go to verse 7, please. He purchased... Okay. It says, He's so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our... Freedom. freedom. He purchased our freedom. He has chosen us to be people who would live free. Not bound, not restrained, not held back. He purchased us for freedom. That we could walk in the goodness and the ability of our Savior. Of all that Jesus wanted to do for us. It goes on in verse 9 here and it says that God has now revealed to us His uh, mysterious will regarding Christ. Which is to fulfill His good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. You know, we haven't seen that yet. We're, that's, that's what we're waiting for. People wonder, well, if Jesus is victorious, why is the world the way it is? Because we haven't seen the fulfillment of, of verse 10 there. Not yet. But yet, Paul writes and says, At the right time, that God will bring everything together under the authority of Christ... Everything in heaven and on earth. He goes on in verse 11 here and he says, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance. We have received an inheritance. Now that actually speaks to right. You know, I mean, my parents have a will. I hope I'm in it. I'm in it. 
But you know what that, what that will does? It declares where their inheritance goes. And it can't be changed. Why? Because they declared that this is the way it's going to be. This is our will. This is our desire. You know, and even in this, it says that we have an inheritance from God. And it can't be taken and it can't be changed. Why? Because Jesus purchased us back to God. And now we have a right to receive of our inheritance. We're not a thief. We're not a robber. We're not trying to take something that's not ours. Everything of the grace of God, all of the spiritual blessings that Paul began to talk about in the beginning of this chapter. I'm not trying to get anything that's not already mine. A relationship with God belongs to me. Peace belongs to me. Joy belongs to me. It belongs to you. Security. Like even more than just natural security. But I mean like eternal security. That's mine. That's yours. I don't have to be concerned. Why? Because God has chosen us. He, he calls us His own. So he goes on here and he says that we have an inheritance or we've received an inheritance from God. For He chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to His plan. Now, you know, this verse I believe is a, is a very clear um, picture for us. But I believe that many times people struggle with this. With, with this thought of like, well, if I'm living for God, bad things should never happen. I mean, things may happen. I mean, Jesus said, in this life, you will face some tribulation. You're going to have some troubles. But fear not, because I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm a very present help in need. I, I'm right here when you need me the most. And yet, what it says here at the end of verse 11, it says that God chose us, but He also makes everything work out according to His plan. So this is, you know, and you can read Romans 8, and it talks about this, verse 26, 27, 28, really, even before that, starting about verse 26, really. Is that things can happen in our life that are not the will of God, but this is what we can have the confidence, is that God is going to work what the enemy meant to destroy, what the enemy meant to steal, kill, and destroy with, and God is going to bring it about where it will be a blessing in our life. And so even in the midst of circumstances, even in the midst of a trial, is that I can still, even in the midst of where things seem to be going haywire, I could still say, God, I trust that you have chosen me, that you love me, that your grace is still abounding in my life. Even though in the natural realm, it may seem like that's not the case. But Father, I thank you that I have an inheritance, that I I have a connection with you. And that you're going to work all this out for my blessing and for my benefit. I may not see it all in this moment. I may not even understand it all in this moment. I mean, I look back on my life and some of the worst seasons of my life I look back on and I'm thankful for them. Now, I'm not saying that I just celebrate them or just sign me up to run through it again. That's not what I'm saying. But I do see where God was working and God has worked and what was meant to destroy has actually become something that God has used to cause strength to come. You know, in steel, like the making of steel, you know, there's different types of steel and there's just regular steel and then there's something called hardened steel. You know how they make hardened steel? They heat it up really, really hot. And it cools off and they heat it up and they cool it off and they heat it up. And they, there's, a, in other words, there's a trial that's happening. 
And the more that it gets heated and, and it goes through that process, the harder and harder and harder that steel gets. Well, you know, even in our life, that can be true even in a spiritual sense with our foundation. Is that let the storm come. I mean, you think about where Jesus talked about in Luke, where he talked about the two houses, one that was built upon the rock and one that was built upon the sand. Let the storm come. Because the house that stands, that's the one that's built on the rock. That's when you really find out what you're made of. That's when I find out what I'm made of is is in that storm when it's coming. Do I fold and run or do I stand and just say, God, you're going to see me through this. I'm not going to fall. Because I'm confident that you are with me in this moment. And that even though it may seem like that this can't be you working in my life. And, and chances are it's probably not. God doesn't need to do bad things to teach us good things. God teaches us good things by doing good things. He, he doesn't need... So, I mean, you know, depend on your theological background or understanding... No, God is good. The Bible says that He is good and He does that which is only good. He doesn't possess the ability to do evil. He's good. But He will be with us in every situation and in every circumstance. And that and we can be confident in verse 11 here. Is that because I have an inheritance, because I know who I am, because I know who I belong to, That God has chose me so far in advance that He'll make everything work out to come out to His plan in the end. Because it doesn't matter even if I'm the one. You know, sometimes trouble in life is not just the devil. Sometimes it's our own decisions. It's our own choices. It's called consequences. You know, life, bad decisions have consequences. There's the principle of the seed. You sow some bad seed, you're going to get some bad harvest. It's just, you know, it's not the devil's fault always. Now, sometimes it is, but not always. But it sure is nice to blame him sometimes, even though we know that it's us who maybe have kind of set up our own problems. But here's the good news. Is that even when we've sown bad seeds, God says, I can still use that to get you to where I want you to go. Just because you've not measured up or not, you know, whatever it may be, God says, hey, I can redeem that. And I'll still use that. And I'll still get you to where, you know, I, I have for you to be. You know, I put this in my notes, it's just a phrase, but is it, we were chosen by God's grace, but it was for His glory. God chose us by His grace. In other words, grace is unmerited favor. We didn't deserve it, we didn't earn it, nothing we can do about it. But it has a purpose. It's not just so that we can be saved, it's not just so that we go to heaven. It's so that now we can display the glory of God through who we are. I mean, I love it when people that I haven't seen in a while come up to me and they're like, man, you're different. Praise God. I hope I am. And in a good way. I mean, I hope I'm a different person. And I hope people can see it. I hope people, you know, I mean, Paul told Timothy that. He says, hey, let your good works be known before men so that they can honor the Lord. People ought to give glory to God because of who we are. Not in an arrogant, conceited kind of way. But hey man, I'm growing and the Lord's working in my life. And He's causing me to, to mature and to grow up. And it's evident to those around me. And it speaks to the goodness and the glory of God. Why? Because God has already given you every spiritual blessing that you need. To be what He's called you to be. To do what He's called you to do. To impact the people that He has for you. 
You already have everything. All the resources of heaven are already at your disposal. You're not waiting for God to come through for you. He already did. It was in the person of Christ. I mean, that's truth. Now, you may be in the middle of a moment saying, I'm waiting on God to show up. I'm waiting on God to show up. I'm waiting on God to show up. He did show up. And now, I'm walking it out in the wisdom and the understanding of Scripture. Is that, God, you have chosen me. You've not left me here. That, God, you're going to be faithful to me. That I'm going to see your goodness in my life. I mean, that's faith talk. In spite of circumstances. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm moved by what I know. And what I believe in my heart. And so many times we can get sidetracked. And really off the rails if you will. Simply because we start looking at circumstances and situations. And we lose sight of our inheritance. We lose sight of those promises that God has given us. Simply because we lack the focus to really keep the most important thing. The most important thing. And that's our promises from the Lord. Romans chapter 11 verse 6 says this. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their works. He says, for in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. So... God's grace to us is completely free, completely undeserved. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. Now, piggybacking on that is Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read a couple verses here, verse 8 through 10. It says that God saved you by His grace when you believed. So God chose us for what? To be His family. He wants us. He has a desire for us to be His family. But now it says that God has saved us by His grace. Well, that means that we've actually responded to His grace. You know, just because God extends His grace doesn't mean that we get to walk in it. Why? Because is salvation not available to everybody? Is healing not available to everybody? Is is the life that Christ died for us to live available to every single person who's living and breathing right now? Well, of course it is. But yet there's a lot of people that walk either in ignorance because they've not been told or ignorance because they've not taken it seriously. They've not applied what Christ wants to do in their life. They've not, you know, as it says here, they've not uh, been saved by the grace of God. He goes on and he continues and talks to them and he says, and we can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation, or let me say it this way, your inheritance is not a reward for the good things that you've done. Your inheritance from God is not based off of what we do or how we do. He says, so none of us can boast. It doesn't matter how good or bad we are. Nobody has a leg up on anybody. Because the grace is given out equally. It's equal and it's free. And it's, uh, uh, I love the way that it says it over there in Ephesians 1. He says that he has showered his goodness on us. Verse 10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He says, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we could do the good things that he planned for us long ago. See, this goes back and even echoes what I was saying a minute ago. Is that God has given his grace to us so that his glory could be manifested through us. I mean, that, that, that's who we are. That's why we're here. 
It's not just to live a life, love Jesus, love a few people, and one day go to heaven. No, we, need, we have an assignment. We have things that, that God has called us to do. But we, we have influence that He's given us. That we are to really to display who He is as exactly what it says here. Is that he, as He creates us anew. In other words, as we are formed and shaped into what He has called us and, and designed us and, and, and really um, built us for. For what purpose? So that we could walk in the good things He has for you. See, it's there. You, you have the ability. You already have that in you. But you've got to be willing to walk in it. See, that's the grace and the goodness of God for you and to you. So we can have an understanding that God has chosen us. That I have been called. You know, for years and years and years, I I really struggled with that thought. I mean, I understood it from a mental standpoint. Okay, I'm a son of God. But there was a big disconnect between my understanding in my head and my understanding in my heart. I was sharing about that a few minutes ago. And so you may be here tonight and you, you, you may even, in a mental sense, agree with everything that I'm saying. And say, yeah, I agree with you. God's grace is lavish towards me and... Okay, well, are you, let me say it this way, are you trying to, um, I don't want to word this. Are you trying to develop yourself, or are you letting the Holy Spirit develop you? There's a big difference. I mean, the Bible says that, The Holy Spirit came, John 16, came for what? To be our aid, our advocate, our standby, our teacher, our guide. The one who would help us along. You know, I mean, I I like to go fishing. I'm a fisherman. I I like to fish. And, you know, I've gone out in the ocean, but, you know, I didn't grow up on the ocean. And I don't know squat about, really, anything about ocean fishing. And so if I'm going to go out on the ocean, I'm going to make sure I always have a guide. Why? Because they know where to go. I mean, you know, if I'm going to be out on the ocean and I'm going to get a little motion sick, I want to be catching some fish. I don't want to be out there just getting sunburned because that's usually what happens. And what? I get a guide, what? Because he knows where to go. They ask us when we get there, hey, what do you want to catch today? Any particular kind of fish? I'm like, yeah, I would like to catch some redfish. I'd like some snapper wine because I know what I want to eat later, right? And so, you know, this last, one of the last times I went, I wanted to, I told him, I said, I want to catch something bigger. He was, he was like, I don't want no shark or nothing, but I want to catch something bigger. And he was like, so he named off a few things, and I didn't know what this one thing was. And I was like, what's that? I said, sounds good to me. And uh, so he's like, all right, well, we're going to have to go out a little deeper then. Well, he knows where he's going. It's a good thing because I get out there, and all I see is water. You know, after 12 miles out, you can't see land anymore. And all I'm saying, I'm just like, which way was land? Because I don't have a clue, and I need a guide. Why? Because I don't know where I am. I'm completely lost. But you know, here's the thing. I have complete confidence. This guy better know where he's at. We better not be lost. He better know. Like, we're paying him money. He's a guy. He he helps me. And I have complete confidence and trust. Never met the guy. Got on a boat and drove out in the middle of the ocean with somebody I don't know. That just don't sound too smart, really. But I've done it a few several times. But he's a guide and he takes me and we go and catch the things and, it, you know, we're catching a little bit. We ain't catching enough. We need to move. All right, let's go over here. Let's go over here. And it, 
I don't have a clue where we're going. But yet he's my God and I have to trust him that he knows what he's doing. It's kind of the way it is with the Holy Spirit sometimes. You get out and you're like, where in the world am I? And what is going on and what is happening? None of this seems to be going according to plan. Here's the thing I've learned about God is that nothing ever goes to my plan. Now, I may end up where I thought I would end up, but I've never gotten there the way I thought. It's always been different. That requires trust. That requires me allowing the Holy Spirit to guide me into what God has for me. But I'm not trying to do it on my own. I mean, you know, I'm using this as an example. But sometimes I think as believers, we try to develop ourselves by ourselves. Let me, and I'm going to use the illustration I just gave you. That would be the same as me walking up to the boat that I hired a God and said, Hey, I just need the boat and the equipment. I don't need you. The ocean's that way and the fish are that way. I don't need instruments. Water, land. That's, uh, I know the directions. Let's go catch some fish. I would be in trouble. Within an hour, I would have no idea which way was what. I'd be showing up in Cuba or something. Like, where in the world am I? This must be the keys. No, I'm a long ways from where I'm supposed to be. And yet many of us, if we're not careful, we'll live our Christian life like that. I'm saved. Holy Spirit, you know, we're not really acknowledging or being really dependent upon His influence in our life. Or even really submitting to His help, submitting to His wisdom. He speaks and we ignore. We don't heed His voice until things get bad enough. And it's like, Lord, help Come save me. That's, that's what I'd be doing out there on the ocean. I'd be calling Coast Guard. Where are you at? I don't have a clue. Like, you're the Coast Guard. Come find me. And that's how we treat the Lord many times. And yet, even in that moment, and here's the, here's the thing. Even if when we get there, God is still faithful. God is still gracious. God is still loving and abundant in compassion towards us. Thank God. Thank the Lord. Why? Because He still chose us. We're still His. He said, hey, I, I want you. And, and we get to walk with Him, walking in all that God's grace has provided for us. But it's not going to happen by what we do or what we know or our right steps. No, it's a matter of saying, okay, God, I need you to lead me. I need you to guide me. I surrender myself completely to you. It's not about what I want. It's not about what I think. It's not about what I think I know. Because what I think I know gets me in trouble. I need you to to help me and to lead me and to guide me. Back over in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. I want to read this out of the message translation. It says here, it says, uh, It's in Christ that we find who we are and what we're living for. It's in Christ that we find out, number one, who we are. And number two, we find out why we're here. What we're living for. It's only in Him 
You know, I mean, I, I think so many times, if we're not, we can be looking for meaning in all of these things, all of life. And yet life is meaningless without Christ. It really is. There's nothing outside of Him that has true, lasting value. It has value, but it's just not lasting. And yet here, He says, we find out who we are and what we're living for. He says, long before you first heard of Christ, or long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us and had designs on us for glorious living. I'm going to read that last part again because it was just that good. It said, long before we heard of Christ and got our hopes up, it said He had His eye on us and had designs for us for glorious living. Glorious living. Why? Because we, man, we have the, we have the goods. I mean, we have the fullness of God in us. If you're a Christian, the Bible says that the moment that we got saved, that God blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heaven. All of heaven's resources are at our disposal right now. Now, we've got to walk in wisdom. We've got to walk in light of the Word of God. They're not just going to happen just by chance. We do have some responsibility in that sense. But... It's, it, the strength is not of us. The ability is not of us. It's God's goodness in our life and for us that will ultimately bring out about exactly what it says here, which is that glorious living. Is that we have meaning, we have purpose in our life that's beyond ourselves. That it's resourced by, by uh, the Spirit of God in our lives. And it does exactly what He says throughout this, throughout this chapter. Is that at every turn, this is what you know and can know, is that God is with you. God is for you. Whatever you lack, He's going to fill in. As long as you're walking with Him and trusting Him, God will make up for anything that you lack. For what? To live the life that Christ has already reserved for you. I mean, you, you ever been to a restaurant where you had like reserved seating? You know, it's nice, especially if you go to like a busy restaurant. You know, like sometimes when our family goes on vacation, we have a pretty big group. You know, there's like, I don't know, 15, 16 of us. So try to, you know, and trying to go somewhere where it's busy, I'll call ahead. I'm like, hey, it's 2 o'clock. I call at lunchtime. I'm like, hey, we're coming for dinner. We'll be there at 6.30. I need such and such. If I just showed up, sometimes we'd have to wait an hour or two to eat. I need to go eat so that I can go eat. You know what I'm saying by that? Like I need a snack so I can make it to dinner. I know that's somewhat embarrassing, but it's true. Got to stick some snacks in my wife's purse or something. But what's great is when I call ahead. I have, you know, all these people kind of give you the evil eye. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, excuse me, I've got a reservation. They've already prepared for me. And I don't feel the least bit guilty. My thought is, you should have called ahead too. That's what I think. So I call ahead and it's great. I walk in, they're like, oh, we already have your table ready for you. I'm like, praise the Lord. Why? Because preparations were already made ahead of time. We've got your seats. We've got your table. You know, we've got, you know, it's set up and ready. All I had to do was show up, right? Why? Because it was already pre-set up. It was already... I didn't have to wait in line. God's made you some reservations. 
He's already got the table set for you. It's there and it's waiting. He's just waiting on you to show up. It's there. It's available. And all we have to do is to rest in this truth. I ain't got to make it happen. There's a table. I've got reservations. My father called ahead for me. My father's made provision for me. My peace has already been reserved. My joy has already been reserved. My confidence is already reserved. My healing has already been reserved. I mean, I don't feel bad at all when I've called ahead to make a reservation. I'll walk in and, be, and I'll even look. I'm that kind of guy. I'll be like, is that my table over there? You know, that looks like a big one. Is that mine? I don't feel bad at all. Why? Because I have confidence. They said they have my table. They better have my table. Right? Why would I be any less confident of the word of God? That's mine. Lack's not mine. Provision is mine. Sickness is not mine. Healing is mine. A healthy relationship with my wife belongs to me. But you know, sometimes that requires the help of the Holy Spirit to say, quit saying that to her. That's that guiding part, you know. It's a promise, but I still got to show up. I mean, what good's a reservation if you don't show up, right? I had good intentions. The food would have been great. But I decided to eat, stay home and eat a cold sandwich. No, I'm going to go to that reservation. Why? Because I made the reservation for a reason. I had an expectation that something good was going to be waiting on me. And I'm going to bypass all the other people that are waiting. And I'm going to go to my reservation. Because it's already been provided for. It's already been set up. Everything that you need has already been reserved, has already been set aside for you. God's grace is not running out. He's not running low. The grace tanks in heaven don't start to run out and God's getting nervous. There's no such thing as grace tanks. You're like, where's that in the Bible? Never heard this. It ain't there. Why? Because he's abundant. He never lacks. He never runs out. And it's just a matter of us stepping into. And it's exactly what it says here in verse 3. Is that when we come to the place of realizing what all has been provided for us. The only response is praise. The only response is thankfulness. Because we realize what God has created and made available for us to walk in right now. Right now. In every circumstance. In every situation. It doesn't matter as I was saying earlier. You may be facing some things tonight. There's grace. You're not alone. God's not left you. God's not abandoned you. God's not turned his ear deaf to you. No, there is grace in this moment for you right now. For what? To walk through. You know, I think sometimes that we, and I believe that God delivers. But sometimes I believe God does say walk. I mean, you know, the children of Israel could have gotten translated to their promised land. God could have just said, boop, there you go. But they had to walk. They had to walk through the Red Sea, right? What looked like their demise was God's deliverance 
They still had to walk through. Why couldn't God just build them some bridge? No, he said, you got to walk through. And there are times that I believe that we do. It's like I was talking about earlier and what I mentioned earlier is that there are times that even as we face things, it's like the hardening of that steel. Is God says, look, you, you need to walk through this. It's not going to be the end. It's not going to be your ruin. But you can walk through this with faith and with courage and with strength. And come out on the other side of this even stronger than you went into it. And that is God's grace in our life. Now we may not see it as that in the moment. But I know this. I mean when I was. I mean I can remember. I mean nearly 20 years ago. Almost 18 or so. I can remember sitting down with Pastor Sam saying. You know who's my pastor. And telling him. I know God's called me to pastor. You know just naive and passionate. Knowing that God had called me to pastor. He's like, well, what you going to do? That's why I'm here. That's why I'm talking to you. You're supposed to tell me all these things. You know, you're supposed to help me figure this out. And you know, in all those years ago, I wasn't ready. I didn't have the strength, the stamina. I didn't have even close. To, I didn't have a clue. But yet I can look back now and I see where God developed and he brought some things about in my life. And there were even some storms that I look back on. I'm like, why in the world did I walk through that? And why was that so hard? I understand it now. Because it's formed some things in me. That I needed to do what God had called me to do. Well, if there was never the storm, there would have never been the lift up either. There would have never been that promotion. There would have never been that, those opportunities that were open. Why? Because I ran from trouble. Instead of pressing into God saying, God, your grace is sufficient for me. In this moment, your grace is enough. Everything in me says run, but I'm going to stand. Because I'm not going to quit. And it's exactly what it talks about throughout this whole passage of Scripture that we've looked at tonight. Is that when we will lean into the grace of God. That exactly what he says here. What was that? Verse 11. Hold on. Let me go back to that. Let me switch back to the message again. I'm going to wrap it up because I just like the way this says it. This did something in my heart as I was reading this. He says, long before the second part of verse 11 from the message. He says, long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, God had his eye on us and had designs for us and for glorious living. God has a plan for your life. And it's that you would actually get to experience his power, his goodness, his grace in your life. But you've got to trust him. And when he says walk, you got to walk. Now, there's times that he'll deliver you. And you're like, man, that was awesome. That was amazing. And there's sometimes he just says, walk with me. I mean, the psalmist wrote and says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm not going to be afraid, but I know that this is passing. I'm not going to die in this valley. If you ever have some time, I would encourage you to go... Do a little study in the rod and the staff and see what that actually means. I don't have time to teach it tonight, but it's interesting. And you think of it in the context of walking through that valley as the psalmist wrote. Psalms 23. Your rod. Well, that was used for discipline. And yet he said that comforts me. Your staff. It was for guidance. 
keep sheep going the right direction. You know, got that big long hook on there. Like, hey, get back in line. Get back over here. Head this. Your rod and your staff, your guidance and even your discipline. They comfort me. So even in those seasons that we're walking, God's never left us. But I think it's in those moments where we really have to tap into the grace of God. And say, okay, God, I can't do this on my own. I'm not, I don't know if I'll make it through this season in and of myself. But I do know that there's an abundant grace in my life. And I'm going to tap into that abundant grace in my life. And that's what's going to see me through. And so there's this dependence that, that really is birthed in our heart through seasons of trial and maybe even some frustration. That will cause us to press into the presence of God. And out of that, I believe we, and I've seen it in my life, but I also see it through uh, the Word of God, is that there becomes this greater connection and this deepening of that dependence on the Lord. And it's in that place that you'll really be able to see. And, and it's, uh, I believe it's in that place where we really begin to, to have a, maybe a, a, a deeper sense of, of even worship in our own hearts before the Lord. Why? Because it's God. Man, I've walked with you through the fire. I've walked with you through the storms. I've walked, and you've never left me. And you've always been there. And you've always been faithful. I mean, the longer I live with the Lord, the more thankful I am for Him. And that, why? Because I've seen Him time and time again be good, to be faithful.